In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Chad Bogleman. I'm Ryan Daly. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 238. Star Wars The Force Awakens. It is nigh. It is here. It's happened. <laughs> the event has culminated. <laughs> this is Ryan's like eighth podcast talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> but he still uh, hasn't had enough. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't. I can't get enough. Okay, so, wait, this is Ryan's first time on the show, right? First time on your show, yes. Yeah, well, okay, well, you guys should have listened to us when we appeared on his Secret Origin show episode, (laughs) 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 talking about Millennium and shit. Uh, (laughs) Oh, and the Guardians of the Universe. Let's say 23, maybe? Uh, Something like that. That that show hasn't aired in months, so I just don't, you know, I forgot about it. Uh... (laughs) Uh, but why Why don't you tell them why we had to have you on for a Star Wars talk if all they know you from is the Secret Origin show? Well, I also have been hosting a Star Wars-themed podcast called Dead Boffin Spies because I figure, you know, let's make the, uh, the title as nerdy and specific as possible to drive away any, any non-real fans. Um, we only want purists on- listening to this show. <laughs> Yes, of course. Um, and yeah, just as a, as a huge fan of Star Wars for most of my life, um, yeah, I just I had to talk about it more and more. So I've been running that podcast for a while. Yeah, you you and Mark are probably tied for Star Wars enthusiasm because I I, I love the franchise, but I'm not I'm not I wasn't like trying to soak up any information about the movie. I wasn't like excited about the toy line. I wasn't. I mean, I was just like. Once the trailers hit, I was like, oh, that looks great. Oh, I'm excited. Okay, cool. And then, you know, we got a little closer, and then I got I got into the hype. But the rest of it, I was just like, I couldn't care less. But I know Mark was losing his mind. <laughs> Give or take. <laughs> Mark and I have a, a similar affliction. <laughs> there is no known cure. So before we get into it, I thought it'd be cool. What if? Uh, okay, first of all, I'm leaving off. I'm leaving off the prequels, just because. But I, I figured just before we go into it, why don't we give our rankings of where this falls in the 
pantheon of the seven, the, the main seven uh, <coughs> Star Wars movies that are currently out. And I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off first. For me, it goes Empire, Star Wars, not A New Hope. Not A New Hope, That's it's called Star Wars. Uh, uh, Force Awakens, Jedi, and then the prequels in whatever order you want them to be in. Probably Revenge of the Sith or whatever first. Out of those, and Phantom Menace dead last. Or clone, I don't know. One of the two. <clears throat> Phantom Menace. <laughs> Go ahead, Ryan. <laughs> um... I would say The Empire Strikes Back, number one, with Star Wars very close behind it. Okay. Um, and, and depending on my mood, sometimes I might pick Star Wars as the better movie just because it's so it's such pure fun and structurally it's great. But Empire is really the better made film, technically. It's better written, better directed, better acted. Um, and then... Gosh, this is really close because as a classic movie, like Return of the Jedi means so much to me in terms of my childhood and and the nostalgic pull I have to that movie. But I'm leaning towards maybe saying The Force Awakens is a better movie. Uh, they're, they're very close. They're neck and neck at this point. So, And then, I, I mean, I could rank the prequels, but why? <laughs> why yeah. bother? Yeah, I don't think I've watched them in years. I rewatched them recently, and it felt like an endurance test. Like, <laughs> oh. And I had to watch, and I watched the Star Wars marathon before Force Awakens came out, so I got to see all the prequels too, right off the bat too. At one o'clock, starting at one o'clock in the morning, just what I wanted. Uh, I would, I would rank them: Empire One, Star Wars Two. Right now, and again, the dust needs to settle, but I probably would say Force Awakens 3. Okay. Uh, I'm going to – I go against the grain here. I, I, think, I think Return of the oh, – excuse me, Return of the Jedi and Revenge of the Sith are, are pretty much – are very close. They both have flaws and I think – they're both flawed movies and they both have a lot of pluses. Uh, I've never. I was never a huge fan of the redemption of Vader because I didn't really be- believe it. Even back in the original trilogy days, I didn't think he could be redeemed. And after seeing the prequels, you know that he really couldn't. Much like Kylo Ren, he's pretty much irredeemable, really, at this point. But I would say so. I would probably put. I, I'm going to. I'm going to throw the prequels a bone, and I'm going to say Revenge of the Sith would be fourth, Jedi fifth, Clone sixth, and Phantom Menace is dead last. And it's kind of hard not to have it. Dead last, you have Darth Maul in it. You take out Darth Maul and uh, and, and Qui Gon over there, and that, and even even Ewan McGregor wasn't particularly wasn't all that was not his best Obi Wan performance in that movie, though he didn't have much to work with. But I think Menace is just the weakest, and this, and, this, and plot of Menace was kind of the lamest too. Uh, before we get into it, obviously, guys, there's going to be spoilers. For, yeah, that's for... kind of a given at this point. And by the time this comes out, I mean, the movie's going to have already been out for over two weeks. So at this stage of the game, if you're not, if you don't want spoilers, clearly you have to listen to this after you, you finally get around to watching <laughs> Force Awakens. But there's kind of no point doing this without doing spoilers at this point. Oh, yeah, I've now seen it three times. Me too. Yeah. Okay. I've seen it five. <laughs> well... I, I, you know, I, I, it seems like we all agree on ranking, but I don't know. I don't know how solid that is. I know Empire's first for sure, but because of the special edition stuff that Luke that Lucas did, 
and I haven't seen the originals in so long without all that special edition shit. I don't know if my problems with with Return of the Jedi are more of you know that crappy CGI thing they beak they added to the Sarlacc pit, you know those things, and so you know when uh, when they enter the that CGI chick is singing in Jabba's palace, and you know all that kind of bullshit. Um, but out of, we're we're here for Force Awakens, so Force Awakens. Um, Shit, uh, I don't I don't know where to begin. If we should just dive right into it or go overall, Ryan, you've done forty of these podcasts already. So <laughs> where do you think we should start? Um, well, I think the the easiest place to kind of talk about is the new characters, um, because it nice. seems like just about everybody agrees that they did a terrific job of introducing this new generation of heroes. Um, I I liked pretty much all of them right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've mentioned this elsewhere that the first like 30 or 40 minutes of the movie from the end of the opening crawl until the point where Ray and Finn take the millennium Falcon off of Jakku. Like if you just took that little segment of the movie as a vignette, I think that holds up as well as any other part of star Wars as just pure fun adventure. I love all the characters that it establishes. I like Finn. I like Ray. Poe Dameron is funny. Uh, Kylo Ren is a serious threat. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, what do you guys think about the new characters? Uh, I, I loved them. Uh, I, I, I gotta say in, in terms of like just sequentially, I cared more about Finn than I did Ray. Uh, obviously as the movie progresses, then, you know, just like everybody else out there, I just instantly fell in love with Ray. Um, Poe Dameron, I like him, but we didn't get so much of him that I feel like, like, like I understand why he's potentially a great character, but when you just take everything that actually happened with him in the movie on face value, I feel like. I don't know yet enough about this character to come out caring, come out the other side caring about him as much as I do Finn and Ray. Mm-hmm. Like, I he mean, was... yes, he was a cool, great pilot and he was funny and he was loyal to the resistance and, you know, he's got great things that you can expand on, but there wasn't much meat there for you to come out the other side and go, I mean, yeah, you want to see more with him, but you don't necessarily attach to him the same way you do Ray and Finn. He was less developed. There's no doubt his character was his character was less developed than he was. And even though he, there were key parts, obviously he played a role in the plot as the movie went on. He had a key, he had a few key, key roles to to fulfill. The real journey we were watching were were Ray and Finn's. Come, so that's mm-hmm. and that's kind of and that kind of follows suit too because that almost always happens in uh in you look at some of the other movies it's like when there's it's always like there's always three characters seemingly the main there's three you know heroes that we're following and then they alternate between i guess which characters get kind of developed more kind of like in an empire it was definitely much more of a like luke and han that really were the mm-hmm. focal points and you know Leia, there was a little bit i mean leia there wasn't a huge amount of character development with leia but leia was in the movie a lot but she was but the main but the movies was dominated by the movie was dominated by han and and luke so I mean that's so that's, but yeah Poe, they did have a you know they, structurally they kind of had an issue with Poe too because they needed to get him out of the way for a while and then so that's kind of so you could get yeah. to know Ray and Finn. 
as I understand it, I think either either Oscar Isaac, the actor who plays Poe Dameron, or J.J. Abrams, one of them came out and said that the character was was originally scripted to die in the movie. I, I think heard... when the TIE fighter crashes on Jakku, that was going to be the end of the character. And then maybe just because they liked Oscar Isaac so much that they just they had the, his chemistry. I mean, he's he's really popular. His popularity's blown up. He's going to play Apocalypse in the next X-Men movie. Hmm. Um, I think part of it was just naturally they liked him so much that they're like, you know, maybe we'll spare this character. Maybe we can do more with him. And I think they did. But you're right. I mean, it, the movie wasn't his story. It wasn't his adventure. We were following Ray's journey and Finn along with her. And I kind of knew that going in based on just the marketing. And we right. only ever yeah. saw him in the right. t- in the X-Wing cockpit. I figured, yeah, he's probably going to be like Lando was in Return of the Jedi, where he had a lot of screen time, but he really filled a specific function. He was just right. the good soldier, the good leader, the good mm. pilot. And we see him on a, on, on a mission, but it's not his journey that we're following. So, so that's true. that's the comparison you're going to draw, is, is that Poe is Lando? Yeah, and a wedge, lot of people said wedge too. Yeah, yeah but, see, that's what I was gonna say because I'd never read much of the expanded universe stuff, but I hear that wedge is a big deal in all of that. So is is Poe the wedge in the expanded universe that we never got to see on screen? I think that's probably a similar. That's a good comparison. Um, he's a little bit more cavalier. He's a little bit more. Like flying by the sea, Wedge was still. By the time they started exp- like developing him in the books, he was a little bit more seasoned. He was more mature, and he was he was a leader that we sort of saw in contrast to a younger, more maverick type of Top Gun pilot in in this character called Corin Horn. I think the Poe Dameron that we get is a little bit more of a cowboy than Wedge was. Um, but yeah, he's very much in that mold. Like a lot of people were like, "Oh yeah, he's going to be like the new Han Solo." Well, he wasn't in this movie because we still had Han Solo. <laughs> so maybe maybe going forth in the next installments of the saga, we'll see a little bit more of him kind of filling in those shoes. Um but I kind of I I do like what he brings. I like the fact that he's just the good soldier, the good pilot and he he fills that role. If they give him a little bit more of a story, I hope we get that too, but yeah, I, w- I was happy to see that because that's always been one of my favorite parts of the Star Wars saga is the the space battles, the, the dogfights. So, yeah, I will say one of you know seeing it only three times now, and I say it, you know only three times, uh, seeing it three times now, I noticed on the third viewing, my probably one of my top five favorite scenes in the movie is right when the X wings show up, um, and I don't know the planet, but whatever at Maz's place. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and you, f- and it's that shot where, uh, the camera follows Poe's X-Wing as yep. almost kind of from Finn's perspective, but not really mm-hmm. that, I mean, you, you just see him dip and twirl and he's hitting at, he's hitting TIE fighters and stormtroopers on the ground and then he swings up and does a loop and hits another TIE fighter from the background. It just like. And when when Finn goes, whoa, now that's a pilot or something, he says something like that. Mm-hmm. You you go, you you feel that with Finn. You're like, yeah, that is a hell of a pilot. Look at this dude. I, it was a great continuous shot that I just was. I, I was, you know, I'm not I'm not much of a behind the scenes movie person, but I appreciated how that was done. Mm-hmm. 
that was that was Poe Dameron's Legolas moment. Like if you go back to the Lord of the Rings movies, there was always a scene where Legolas would fire like ten arrows into orcs in one continuous shot and he would do something. Like that. Now we didn't we didn't say it. Uh, the new character is Kylo. Um, look, I go back and forth now. I, I I still don't. I get the people who say don't like him as a villain because he's like a petulant little child throwing temper tantrums. But at the same time, he's a super powerful force-sensitive child throwing temper tantrums. Like, that is also very dangerous. So, like, I I don't know. I, I kind of feel like my opinion of Kylo will solidify for good or for ill in the next movie. Because Han's gone. You know, spoilers, <laughs> Han dies. Uh, so Han's gone. He has a face to his enemies in, uh, in Rey and Finn. Uh, which I don't really have any sort of personal connection to him, and Snoke is going to complete his training. So, like, there, you know, there's... I feel like that, you know, infantile BS is gone because his baggage is gone, his focus is solidified, his training is complete. You know, hopefully he becomes an actual... I mean, it's not like he wasn't a threat in the movie, but I didn't really feel... Okay, so Kylo wasn't Vader. Like, you know, when Vader showed up on screen, you're like, oh, shit. Like, this this is a threat. Whereas Kylo is like, yeah, he's dangerous, but... Kind of a thing. I don't know if you guys felt that, too, but I, just, I had a hard time sort of defining Kylo as whether or not this is an actual good villain for this particular movie. I I loved him. I really enjoyed the character for everything that you said. I liked the fact that he wasn't Vader. He wasn't Darth Maul. He wasn't all of the villains that we've seen in Star Wars to date have been very calm, collected, cool under pressure. You know, even when Vader got pissed off and he had to force choke somebody. And part of it was just the fact that he's in a mask. You know, he never, like, raised his voice. He never, like, exploded into rage. It was this very concentrated fear that he was kind of like exploiting kylo ren is so volatile like you say like when when he gets bad news he trashes his place like a hotel room like he just he he brings out that lightsaber and he just cuts up a computer terminal that like the first time i saw that i was like oh my god i've never seen a star wars villain like this and i love it now the one problem with him that i think is from the first scene with him they established him as perhaps too powerful for what we see of him later on. And I think the fact that he's able to stop that laser blast that Poe shoots Mm. and hold it in midair for like five minutes without a lot of concentration on his part, at least it doesn't look that way. That makes it seem like this guy is way, way powerful. And then throughout the movie, we see that, well, Ray is naturally more powerful than he is after he's been trained for a decade or so, however long that Kylo Ren has been training. And then when Snoke's at the end says, we need to complete his training, it's like, okay, I feel like maybe maybe the Kylo Ren that I saw in that first scene wasn't the same Kylo Ren that I see at the end, and I'm not really sure where they're going. Uh, but I, I am really excited to see where he where he goes from here. And in terms of, I think he can still have some of that emotional childishness and volatility because of the fact that he knows there is somebody else out there that is that much more powerful than him. 
So he's like jealous. Yeah, I think that jealousy could turn, especially if Snoke takes an interest in her, and maybe Snoke thinks maybe she would be a better apprentice. Like, like Palpatine wanted to replace Vader with Luke. Exactly. So, mm. um, so yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Mark? I'm kind of, I'm kind of in between your opinion and and Chad's opinion. I, and I think. I think you're correct, Ryan, that I think in a way what works against Kylo from, for the rest of the movie is that they establish early on, not just because he, you know, he dresses to try to be intimidating, which obviously is part of his shtick to begin with, to put himself dressed in black, you know, wear armor, make him, you know, where he's walking, you hear the boots, his mask is heavy, everything to try to, trying to get a Vader-like, you know, vibe that, that he, you know, gives off to people around him. That when the way he stops that laser blast and holds it, which we hadn't really seen before, and it just stays there as he's as he's dealing with Poe and everything else, and it just just casually as he's walking away, finally, then he just kind of like, then he drops that you know that little seemingly that little bit of attention he was focusing on the blast to hold it, and then it you know that sets the stage, and Ed, yes, and as the movie goes on, he does come across as weaker against Ray. You could. Exp- if Ray is naturally stronger than he is in the Force, then you might be able to explain a little bit of it away. Plus, we know he was wounded at that point because you know Chewie blasted him with the bowcaster armor or not. That obviously hurt because we know he was bleeding. Uh, yes, he was mostly toying with Finn, even though Finn did get in did get in a good sh- one shot at him. But. I don't know. I think he does get weaker as he goes on. I guess you could try. And I thought about this. Being, being a Star Wars guy and having seen the movie three times, you try to think of maybe plot points of why it could possibly be that way. And maybe that's the internal struggle inside of Kylo. That like When he's just menacing somebody off the top of his head and there's no resistance and there's no challenge, then it's not much of an issue for him. But when he's actually facing someone who's standing up to him and it's a threat, then maybe that's where the – not really his, his inner demon, which actually is more like his inner angel, the light side part of him, that, that's conflicting. And maybe that just makes him less focused and makes him less powerful. Hmm. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, there is there is kind of an issue that yes, because we know we know he trained with Luke. We don't know how long he trained with Luke, but he know he he trained with Luke. He's obviously been with Snoke for a while. He, sh- I don't, I don't care. I mean, unless they come up with an explanation for why Ray is so much more, you know, her her raw power is so much more than. You know, we've seen before, except for, you know, maybe except for maybe Anakin, that why would she be able to be able to do everything she did throughout the movie, including the end with Kylo? Why would she be able to do that so quickly without any kind of training or, you know, and because um, I don't know. I mean, that, everything her, that her midichlorian count is higher than uh, than Yoda's. Well, well Anakin's was, too. <laughs> <laughs> but. It's just the idea because I mean, even if she even and she and it'd be hard for her to absorb everything she saw and heard in that vision when she touches Luke's saber because it's hard for anybody, at least upon first viewing, to be able to absorb everything that's going on between Mm -hmm. what they're showing you and what you're hearing. But I don't know. It's just we. It's it. But that's the only thing I could think of, and that's what. And and again, this with Kylo the weak. I think the other weak part is you already you already know right off the bat. The, the shit that he did before we got to the end of the movie, which kind of makes him, you know, irredeemable. I mean, I mean, with Vader, you kind of, you know, we had some backstory with what Obi Wan told Luke about Vader and everything else, but in, you know, 
and I and I never bought in as I may have mentioned I never bought into Vader being really being able to be redeemed even just for the first three movies once you see the prequels there's no friggin' way Vader can be redeemed no matter what he does at the end and we're already at that point with Kylo because he's done so many shitty things including killing his father that I'm sure they're building up to he's going to have this great great moment of sacrifice or whatever probably probably in episode nine but are we really going to care all that much I mean uh, so that I think. See, that's kind of that's kind of what I want to see because that's what we didn't see from Darth Vader. I would like to see Ben Solo essentially try and redeem himself, try and go towards the light, and have to live with the consequences of his actions. Vader didn't have to face any sort of galactic justice for all of the atrocities he committed. And I, I agree. Like, I mean, he, he did one noble act at the end to save his son, but I don't think that redeems the millions of people that nope. he killed. Plus, it but took I him would... so long to make the decision. It's like going back and forth. Should I? Shouldn't I? That, that, that ruins it, too. It's like if, if he made the decision pretty quick after he got to his feet, not to cut you off, but the fact that, yeah. I don't know, what should I, should I do? What should I do? But it just makes him look – just makes – continues the the act or the – the opinion of, of Anakin slash Vader that he that he's weak that actually he's pretty weak minded and he's a puppet and he just he can't see you know can't see the nose in spite of his face. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. No, Sorry. I would just I I would be interested in seeing Ben Solo go through some sort of penance and actually spend a long period of time trying to atone for what he has done. Now so, I don't so know. So like if... starting in episode eight. And like continuing into nine, or you think like? No, I mean this again. Like I mean, it depends. I mean, I don't want to see. I don't want to spend. It's called Star Wars for a reason. These are action fantasy adventure stories. Yeah. So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I would be interested in if he survives at the end of this trilogy, of just knowing, like if he if he goes into some sort of isolation, or if he goes to some kind of Star Wars prison, some sort of space jail. Um, sort of self-imposed that he that I mean as a somebody who's so powerful in the force probably no prison could hold him that way but if he did it of his own free will if he just decided to turn himself in and face justice or something I, I don't know I would just I don't know I, these might not make entertaining stories for the movies but I would be interested in that type of end result for this character just because we've never seen it before in this type of movie so, yeah. What about the original cast? Well, it was most really based on screen time. We only only really spent time with Chewie and Han, but they were great. That was a great Chewie movie. It may be the best Chewie movie when you look at the scenes that he got, what he got to do, and all the funny moments that he got. This he, this might be the for one movie. This might be the you, you had tons of really good. Really good chewy scenes, and that kind of, mm-hmm. that kind of that that was a very pleasant surprise to me, and, and it, it didn't surprise me based on the reviews and everything for people who had said that you know that Harrison Ford really seemed to get back into the character, probably even more, certainly probably maybe for the most of more than he did since he did Empire, because a lot a lot of you know Jedi is questionable how you know how Han Solo like he really was truly in Jedi. He may have been going through the motions at that point since he was he really wanted to get. <laughs> Get Star Wars in the rearview mirror, but he was. But they, but they were they, they were really good together. Harrison Ford was really, really good, and as the as the kind of like the, the glue that was holding you know the new and the old together, it worked really, really well. And Chewie, 
Chewie on his own kind of helped steal the movie a little bit. I mean, yeah, you know, BB-8 for the new characters probably kind of stole it, you know, because he was really cute and everything. But as for older characters, I think I think I'm glad I'm glad they didn't kill Chewie. Like you know, I remember Ryan was speculating that you know they, they, he. And you were correct. We knew they were going to have to kill either Han, Chewie, the, the Falcon, or one of the three, if not all of them. So I guess they picked the lesser of the three evils based on going and many levels going forward with with, this, with the natural age of characters and what you know in ships. And right. I guess they made the right they made the right choice. But I, I I'm gl- I'm glad Chewie seemingly had something to do, and now at least will have something to do short term in the future. That would make you wonder, since Ray obviously is, at some point is going to be trained. What what Who's Chewie going to pal around with? Because you don't necessarily know if a Jedi is going to need a Wookiee as a co-pilot. <laughs> right. But you could. I mean, it. Well, I was gonna. We can get back into Ray and what her journey is later. But just going back to those characters, yeah, I, I was really thoroughly impressed by Harrison Ford in the role, just because I wasn't sure he could do it anymore. Um, he just he hasn't done a really good movie in about fifteen years. Um. And, and and I thought he was great. I thought he he seemed like he was enjoying it. He seemed like he was into it. The dialogue worked. The the lines mostly got a laugh. I, I had a great one. And yeah, Chewie, you know, unsung MVP. He had so much more to do in this time. He finally got to shoot his bowcaster. <laughs> I think for as much as like that it was what his weapon of choice and everything that he was marketed with and what the toy came with. I think he only fired that weapon one time in the classic trilogy. And it was when he was shooting at the speeder bike, or maybe he shot it at the Minox when they were in the, in the space slug and empire. But he, like, we finally got to see him do something with that gun. And it was good. And they, the fact that he got to detonate bombs and blow up a building. See, that's that he got to, sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's, that's something I haven't heard a lot of people talk about. I don't think I heard it mentioned on the film and water episode you did uh, because I, I noticed it right away as yeah as emotional as Han's death is and like when he touches Kylo's face and everything and, mm-hmm. and how all that hits you Chewie's scream yeah like yeah. that's that's I mean yeah you've heard Chewie groan and like make various noises of, of sadness and, and and all of that stuff before but that was just like and, and and it was it was punctuated by the fact that he goes nuts. He starts shooting off his bowcaster, and forget that if the fact that he detonates the building, he detonates the building while he's inside. <laughs> Chewie doesn't give a fuck at that point. Like he's like, I am. I, I don't care if I die right now. And that's that's something that like I came out of the I came out of the theater every time every 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 time I saw it. All three people. Like, oh yeah, he did do that, didn't he? I was like, did everybody miss that? Chewie detonated the damn building while he was inside. <laughs> like, didn't care. <laughs> like that 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 kind of as emotional as the Han thing was, the Chewie's reaction from the scream to the fact that he detonates it while he's inside just completely punctuates it perfectly. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> Even though they did on a one negative side, they did blow it by not having Chewie and Leia had that hug at the end when they got back at some point. Having her, having Ray and Leia have that moment was okay. Maybe Chewie had to be in there somewhere. Nobody was closer to Han than Leia and Chewie. Right. Whether well, it was a gr- sh- good. Yeah. No, they should have had a moment. They should have been 
sitting together, hugging, crying, something. Even yeah, they, they, yeah even afterwards, yeah, she could have been comforting him. You know, when, when he's kind of maybe when he's you know kind of like moaning and you know in the hangar before R before R two comes back online, she could have mm-hmm. been comforting him. Or they could have had a moment where maybe the first either the first two people that hug are Chewie and Leia, and then Ray kind of wants to get in there, but she doesn't know if it's okay, and they wave her in kind of. Or the opposite, mm-hmm. where Leia, Leia and Ray have this moment, and then Chewie just kind of hugs them both. But that that was just having him walk by, especially after he already dropped off Finn, you know, to the medics. That that just that was just I don't know why anybody thought that was a good idea because almost everybody picks up on the fact, at least from a missed opportunity point of view, that they should have had that moment of grieving together because they were the two that were closest to Han. So well, there's another missed opportunity in the movie, and the, the, that particular one has been touted a, a lot of different you know review episodes and stuff I've heard, uh, including the one you were on, Ryan. Uh, with uh, the film in water, but like the another one that misses out with misses out to me. Like I love this it's for me personally because I don't talk about Star Wars much. The thing I love about Star Wars is the Force, and I don't necessarily mean the power. I just mean like I, I'm I'm kind of fascinated by like just this connecting connectedness idea. Like one of my favorite things, uh, and this will obviously clue you into what I'm talking about is missing in the Force Awakens. In addition to that scene. Uh, is when Alderaan blows up, Obi-Wan, his reaction to that. Like, he's not there, he's not even technically near there, but he feels it. Like, not a lot of people talk about that moment, but I love that moment because I like the so sort of mystical connectedness that everybody feels in the Force. Like, when... You know, Vader says Luke's name after uh, after Cloud City thing, and, and Luke goes father. You know, like those moments are to me as important as you know lifting an X-wing out of the swamp. You mm-hmm. know, but that's what's what I thought was missing from this movie as well is okay in the original trilogy, Alderaan gets blown up, but in this one, a star system gets blown up, several planets worth of people, and nobody reacts whatsoever Maz who might be somehow force sensitive but not not necessarily a Jedi but just sort of like if you're gonna go with a term like in the church of Jedi or whatever you know you don't see anything like anything even like looking like regret from Kylo or you know just like maybe like a wince like he felt something you know regardless of whether he's bad or good nothing from Snoke who may or not be sensitive nothing from Leia who for sure out of anybody should be able to see it. Obviously we are the whole point of the plot. We're not supposed to see Luke at this point. So that's not an option. And obviously at this point in the film, they haven't chosen to reveal yet Ray's whole force sensitivity, but I I don't know, at least Leia. I mean, somebody should have felt something, but that was structurally the, the, I, I've thought that, too, but the problem is they were trying to hold off on the reve- the reveal of Leia until after you know until that whole battle was over with. But but if 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 we had seen Leia already on screen before she arrived to see Han, then we probably would have had that moment because she would have been the one you would think that she could have felt it. But because she's the one, she's the one, she's the only one based on the group we saw really who should have been able to feel it. And of course they hadn't. They were holding off on introducing her, so she may have felt it. We just it probably happened off camera. 
Or Ray could have had a moment like where she collapsed to her knees and yeah. like someone thought that she had you know got lightheaded or something, and then it, you know, it's revealed later she's force sensitive. That's what she yeah, felt. Yeah, but Luke, but Luke didn't I, react. I, Luke didn't react to Alderaan blowing up either. I know. That's why you know. That's why I say of anybody I don't mean this should Luke, be laid. I mean, yeah, I know. I know. I know. Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. You know, because you know. Luke is the one that closes his saber and looks over at Obi-Wan like, what? <laughs> so I, I understand that Rey wouldn't feel anything. But I'm just saying, like, I, to, to me, that that was sort of missing there. Like, I, I was expecting it when I saw it, that somebody was going to react. Other than just the whole watching planets get blown up in the sky thing. And even that I felt was sort of <laughs> like low key reacted. I yeah. was like, "You guys just watched a star system of your biggest supporters get blown up." <laughs> like, even Leia was like, you know, screaming when Alderaan blew up, but everybody was just sort of looking in awe, and that was it was sort of over. But even though, to be fair, don't forget, I mean, Finn reacted most strongly because he knew what because he actually knew what the weapon was and what the right. weapon did. I mean, he knew he had no doubt what it was. I mean, everybody else was going. They may know what that system was, but they may not have known this is what the what the cause was. Mm. But I, I think they could have done something structurally in the movie. They could have had maybe they could have been inside the ship carrying Leia as before it arrived, and you may not have had to show Leia's face. But you could have shown her from behind and maybe her head going down reacting and someone's asking General what's wrong or something. They could have done that if they wanted to hold off on revealing her face until she was with Han. But yeah, I think once they just – I think that I, – I, I've thought that – I've I've thought that too. But I think that was just – they just decided from a from a plot point of view they didn't want to reveal Leia. And, Le, and Leia is really the only one we could have seen. We know Luke felt it. Um, there's no doubt Luke would have felt it. But – but we're not going to see Luke react because they were trying to keep Luke out of the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as I understand it, there was a there was a deleted scene or two where they actually filmed that, where they were going to introduce Leia earlier, um, and they actually had scenes like in and around the New Republic Senate on that planet Hosnia or whatever Hosnian Prime Hosnian system. Yeah. Yeah, and they were yeah, so they were going to sort of show Leia and kind of. And those scenes would have actually explained what the heck the New Republic is and what the Resistance's connection to it is, because all of that was jumbled. We we really don't yeah. know what what the political landscape looks like, and it's it's really kind of clumsy. But for pacing and for structure, like Mark is right, they they cut all of that stuff out, maybe because it slowed down, or maybe because they they wanted to introduce the characters more organically, and the right time for us to see Leia was when the characters see her. Yeah. So it's a little bit, I, I liked when they introduced her and, but you're right. I mean, nobody from even after that, like even if we didn't see somebody react through the force to the deaths of, you know, billions of people again, it's never mentioned again. Yeah. We get like no response from anybody in the resistance of, you know, how many friends or family members they lost or what this means for the galaxy, what this means for the resistance. Now that their entire political structure of the government has just been destroyed. Like all these senators, what, what does this mean is how does it, you know, it's, it's just a lot of stuff that we didn't get because of the way that part of the movie right. was edited and chopped up. So, and plus it, and plus in the book, there's a, there's, and it's a really tiny subplot, but Leia sends her, Le, Le, Leia sends her assistant, her, one of her personal assistants to, to go to the, you know, to the the center of the republic, to the capital of the republic, on her behalf, and I'm and I'm not sure. I don't know if they name the character, and you know, in the actual uh, 
credits in the movie, but that could have been the girl that is looking up on the on the planet right before it's about to be destroyed with with the alien there or on the balcony. I think but, it was because they they filmed that section and I oh did I, they. Look for it on the Blu-ray. As right. I understand it, it'll be on the Blu-ray. So. Yeah. So she sent she Leia sent her on basically on assignment for her to appeal to the to the Senate and everything. So that was one of the personal losses that Leia had, besides obviously the you know the whole basic the government of the Republic going up. Mm-hmm. That so it's yeah there were there there were yeah, the movies the move certainly the movie is is not perfect right <laughs> many, you know but even even the how much they tied into the plot structure of, of star wars trying not beat for beat but so much is repeated and sometimes they're, they're a little sometimes a lot of their references to the original movie work a lot of them do but when as they get some of them towards the end of the movie when they're kind of beating you over the head how this is so much like blowing up the death star it kind of you know they may have been able to they may have been better off with a tad few of those like oh it's another death star oh it's not another death star gotta be a way to blow it up there's always a way they, and I mean, some subtle things like that work. Like when, when like once Han and Chewie and Finn arrived at at, at the Star Killer base, and Ray had already escaped, and you hear the stormtroopers in the background. They may be splitting up now. They may be on levels. Blah 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 blah. Just like you know, the in the original star, in the original Star Wars when. So that mm-hmm. I think works, but some. But I think sometimes they they kind of over, at least related to the Death Star stuff. Just like even even though they don't talk about it much in the movie, the reason R two has that whole map inside of him was because he pulled it in from the Death Star. But he plugged into the Death Star originally in the data port to, to uh, try to locate where everything was and, and you know, where the tractor beam was and everything else. That's when he pulled in all the maps. That's how he has the archives from the Empire because it was on the Death Star. <laughs> but, yeah. So. I, I, you know, and that's, that's, that's something. Did anybody else feel like, okay, so forgetting the just forgetting the, the, the prequels, not just because I don't like them, but just because I haven't seen them in years. All this the original trilogy has almost a consistent pacing throughout. Yes, there's 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 differences, but it, it they all feel like a Star Wars movie, sort of by and large, and not just from characters or the way it's filmed or the dirty technology or or any of that stuff, but just sort of has this overall pacing. Did this one feel different to you guys in that way? Like there was there was problems in pacing or too many scenes or scenes that weren't long enough or something? Because something about this movie feels off to me, and I don't mean a specific scene. I just mean overall. Like it doesn't it doesn't quite fit with the original trilogy in my mind in terms of what I what I what I kind of view the structure of a Star Wars movie to be. There were some odd sort of uh, things seemed to transition from one place to the next very quickly. Yeah. Like it seemed like light speed literally took them like turning on a light switch and they were in a new planet. Um, But there were, yeah, there were times when I felt like, like there, there are sort of two different kind of like pacing issues for me. Like one, once like some beats where it feels like, J.J. Abrams was saying we need another action beat here just because. Um, And it it goes to, for me, one of the weakest points in the movie is when Han and Chewie first get the Falcon back or they they have it in their freighter. And then these two different pirate gangs Mm -hmm. come to get money from him and they release these squid monsters, the Raftars. And all of that just like it was clumsy. It was dumb. It felt like a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. 
And I was like, you know what? I I would I don't know why we need this. I get that, like, okay, it's sort of like Greedo showing up and demanding money from Han, so we're, we got that revisit. But I would have been a lot happier if they had just taken the Falcon when they got it, abandoned their other ship, just gave it to the pirates who wanted his money. Just take this ship. It's probably worth more than 50,000 credits. Um got back got back in the falcon and just explained a little bit more of what's been going on and then there are other pacing issues where in terms of in terms of kind of like the overall structure the whole point of the movie the plot what we find like what is bringing all of these characters together is they've got a map that's going to help them find Luke Skywalker that's you know from the first line of the crawl Luke has vanished we need to find him yeah, Luke is their... the Luke is the MacGuffin in the movie right that's their mission, but somewhere along the way, like a little bit after halfway, that stops being their mission, and their mission becomes we have to destroy the Star Killer base. And it feels like they just the story changes, and and it feels like the the, the need for that change had more to do with fan service and giving people something that they could be familiar with rather than something organic like like we don't we don't know anything about the republic so the destruction of the senate means nothing to us right so did we need the star killer base in this movie did it really accomplish anything mm. couldn't well, that it, it does destroy the rebel fleet too which is probably more of an issue than actually destroying the Repu- the government of the republic is that it pretty much kind of gives you the impression anyway that pretty much the small handful of handful of fighters and ships that they have left at the end of this movie is more or less all they have. So it kind of puts them back to the beginnings of the rebellion. So it mm-hmm. kind of makes them the underdog again dramatically compared to having the government of the Republic kind of secretly bankrolling your army. Okay, let me throw this out then. Let's say the, the Starkiller base, let's say that was still the home planet of the First Order. That's where they were based out of. We need to go there for some reason because that's where our climactic third act is going to be. What if instead of it being a doomsday super weapon, you already pointed out the first order had the other part of the map. Like that's why they were looking for the little part that BB eight was carrying around. They had that from the old records of the empire. What if that's what the the heroes were doing there? What if they needed to bring R two down to that base in order to steal the rest of the map and get it back? Hmm. And then, yeah, wasn't I saw I saw a script leaked online a long time ago, and it's essentially the the plot of this movie. The only big difference is the fact that instead of looking for a piece of the map, BB-8 is carrying Luke's saber. Did you yeah. guys ever see that leaked online? Luke Saber Luke Saber was originally supposed to be the MacGuffin in the movie. That's the, the thing that everybody's looking for and trying to get that leads them somewhere else. And then somewhere in the rewriting process, I think maybe once. Uh, but 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 Kasdan came on board and everything else. Then they decided to make Luke himself be the object, to be the MacGuffin. But yeah, that that was that that was one of the earliest ideas or rumors out there that Luke's that Luke Saber was found and and they were trying to and but so yeah, I think that's how it transitioned into being a map to find Luke was from point A to point B. Yeah, and that's that's the, and, and just just a segue just because. The reason I was looking for a script before we started recording, there is something because for those of you who haven't, because I keep bringing it up, for those of you who haven't listened, go listen to the Film and Water episode that that Ryan appeared on with Shag and Rob and everybody talking about this because someone said something about 
what if Snoke is a clone of Luke? That was uh, Shag's stepson who okay. proposed that idea. Okay, and and that the, the more I think about it, the more it kind of grows on me a little bit. But the reason I started because when I saw it the third time, right after um, uh, all the stuff happens with Finn, there's a moment on the Star Destroyer where General Hux and uh, and Kylo are talking, and. Hux is defending his position of training these individuals to be stormtroopers, and Kylo says something about using clones instead. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember what that line was. He's, uh, yeah, what, you're right. Question H- the efficiency of the training, and maybe we should have cl- basically come up with a clone army instead. I.e., yeah. going back yeah. to how effective the clones were in the prequels, which they were. <laughs> right. He's saying maybe maybe Supreme Leader Snoke should employ a clone army. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, they certainly acknowledged it, um, and that is certainly one of the more talked about speculations is the identity of Snoke. Um, I know, I think Mark has a theory about that that is different. What do you, what's your theory, Mark? Well, it's what I would like to be the case. I'm not betting the farm that it is the case. I, the idea, well, but we know, the only thing we really know about Snoke, I guess, if we know anything is the fact that he obviously knows the dark side of the force and he, and he's good at manipulating people. So, and I'm not the only one who's obviously come up with this theory. Other people have had it. That if you go back to, go back again, touching on the prequels, and we know, uh, well, who's doing the second one? Is it Ryan Johnson who's doing the second one? Yes. Yes. And he's, he's not an anti-prequel guy, so there's definitely a possibility that more concepts from the prequels could make their way in. Uh, or connective tissue that people might have been leery about doing in Episode 7 just because of, you know, the, the, the overall... Uh, dislike of the prequels i mean i don't hate the prequels i th- so that darth that who snoke could possibly be could be darth plagius which is uh sidious's palpatine's master who he supposedly killed but who also did learn the mass you know t- the secrets of life and death which was accurate even though the, the darth the darth plagius book technically does not have to be canon anymore because i think it was written it was written before the merger and everything but it doesn't necessarily have – the basic concepts in that book don't have to all be thrown out or not everything has to be thrown out. They just have leeway to do it. And he did, he did learn the power of life or death. It was just the fact that Palpatine was so damn arrogant and he was not happy with the fact that the rule of two was now going to end with him permanently being the apprentice. Now that's why he got rid of Plagueis around the – towards the end of the events, at least in that book, of the Phantom Menace that's set. Palpatine wasn't even the master when when the Phantom Menace began, according to this book. He was still the apprentice, and Darth Maul was nothing more than a Sith assassin that Plagueis allowed him to have to do his dirty work. That the idea that Plagueis really did learn—he did learn this power—that maybe, as opposed to Palpatine's arrogance, maybe he did have a way to protect himself from being killed or bringing himself back. So maybe Plagueis did survive Palpatine's attempt to kill him, and he's just kind of instead of just stepping back onto the stage as soon as he regained his power he just kind of let things play out because in the big picture if you know you have immortality on your side then you can afford to wait 20 30 40 years to see how things play out when you've been that that would make sense because he is a master of the dark side it would be a way to bring the sith back without reaching to because he was a sith lord so i think that is a possibility we don't really know anything we don't know because based on the holograms that we saw we have no idea if that's really what snoke looks like and we certainly have no way of really believing I don't believe that he's really supposed to be that big. 
He could be tiny. He could be Yoda-sized and projecting himself to be that big to try to be impressive. The one question I have with that, if you could create a hologram to make you look a different image, like however you want, why would you choose that look? Why would you choose to look scarred and burned and disfigured Well, like that? but it's also a humanoid look, and Plagueis was not – Again, following the idea, Plagueis was not overly humanoid in his appearance. Right, right. So, it, it, if you're if the majority of people fighting for your side or look like you know are, are humans, then you're going to want them to basically mm-hmm. see a supreme leader that kind of resembles you. So we have so that's I mean, so that, then again, if you so that's another way to why to why to make yourself gigantic too, because obviously that's intimidating to make yourself looking down on everybody else when you could be in theory, yeah, you could be almost Yoda size or you could be you could be Kaz size. And just, but that's just that's an that's an idea. I mean, that's just you know one idea. The book, the novelization, does it give you a lot of indication who he is? Just the fact that he's been out there. He's 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 outlived the empire in the sense that he saw the empire rise and fall. He was there before the empire rose. So technically, that fits Plagueis. It could fit his description too. The only thing that goes against it, unless it's just you know kind of giving Kylo, telling Kylo what he needs to hear. Is that there's a conversation between Kylo and Snoke, in which Snoke kind of says, "Well, you know, what really brought down the Empire? It wasn't arrogance. It wasn't this. It wasn't that. It was compassion. Compassion brought down the Empire is because of Vader's compassion for Luke. If the father had killed the son, then the Empire never would have fallen. Now that could just be mind games to Kylo because because he knows Kylo has compassion for like Han and things like that, and he's trying to harden him for what he has to do. And that and that's a very easy explanation." Because deep down, you would think, if it was Plagueis, he would really think arrogance was at least partially responsible for bringing down the Empire, because it was Palpatine's arrogance that helped bring down the Empire. The arrogance that he knew everything, and, and, and he was the, the ultimate puppet master, and he never had to, you know, adjust for anything, or so, but... My, uh, I... I heard the theory some time ago that a lot of people were saying that they think Snoke would be Darth Plagueis, or Plagueis... I didn't want it to be true for a few reasons. Um, the first is I would be very happy if we don't hear the word Darth again, unless it's in reference to Darth Vader. Um, that was just something that I didn't like about the prequels, how Darth just became this title that was referred to with everybody. Um, and the other thing is, as as Mark mentioned, what Darth Plagueis looked like in the sort of the expanded universe before the the Disney merger, the Wade character was depicted as this non-human. He just, I thought the character looked stupid. Um, I did not like the design of the alien that that Darth Plagueis was supposed to be. Yeah, I didn't either. And I thought if that was supposed to be the guy who trained the Emperor, and I'm supposed to be afraid of that guy, if he shows up in the movie, I'm gonna laugh, uh, and I'm just not going to take him seriously as a threat. Now, if they have basically just tossed off like what they what the character used to look like if this still ends up being the same character Darth Plagueis but this is more what he looks like I will be fine with that even though he looks like a cross between Gollum and Voldemort I I like this look of the character better than what Darth Plagueis looked like on like the book covers and stuff like that before so I I won't let, let me put it this way. I have enough confidence in the filmmakers going forward that if it is Darth Plagueis, I think they can do something interesting with that story avenue. So, hmm. um, 
I just because I don't I, I don't have any history with Plagueis. I've heard the name and I know who he is. That's it. Uh, so I can't really contribute to that conversation. But I just because so, I kind of had like a list of bullet points in my head that I wanted to hit, and there was something. Is there? You think there's an issue also in this movie? And my 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 ranking of it still stands. I still enjoy this movie, and I still think it's better than Jedi. So it's number three for me. But I'm not gonna like not point out the criticisms I have of it. Do you think there's an issue with subtlety in this movie? Because there are moments, you know, in in all of the Star Wars movies, and it's pretty obvious in in a great many of these scenes that the Empire is the Third Reich, right? In in the original trilogy, that's that's a that's a pretty clear comparison. But in this movie, yeah, it's not subtle at all. It, I mean, the Nazi salute is, is pretty. Yeah, it's, that's it's not. Kind of it's not just the salute. It's the speech. Yeah. It's the flags. It's the. It's the. I mean, it's. It is in your face, and it's especially the speech, the way he's screaming, and it's. I mean, it's just like that is, <laughs> right in your face. <laughs> like the Empire has never had that until right then, and obviously this is the First Order, not technically the Empire. Honestly, I don't see the fucking difference between the First Order and the the, the Empire, but whatever. <clears throat> I, I don't know. I just I, I I felt like I yes it drives the point home yes it makes the very clear that these are the bad guys but do you do you really need that in your face third right sort of thing to understand that these are the bad guys didn't we already feel that before we got to that scene well I mean they could just be the point they could be trying to get across is at this stage especially after the empire fell that when you when you have the power struggle and you're trying to keep stuff together that very often it's the extreme you know, it's the ex- the extreme you know, at, you know uh, group, the the that wing of of a of a movement that holds that maybe not just holds it together, but is able to you know rally and 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 refocus your, the attention. So the extreme wing of the empire is pretty much all maybe that all that's left. You know, the moderate wing, the moderate wing. You don't know how loyal the moderate wing ever was to the empire. They didn't have a choice. Once the empire fell, the moderate wing could go. Okay, we'll go back. To, you know, well, we have no issue going back with the, with the republic. So the extremists may have been all that was left that was loyal and was willing to you know to fight for whatever the whatever they believed the empire really stood for to begin with. They may have seen that in the seen that in the first order but yeah i think there's i think there's no doubt that they they took and they, and they're supposed to be more extreme from the flame troopers to killing all the people to all the to, and that that thing that that you're it obviously was done for a reason whether you, whether we think you know it could have been i understand your point whether we think subtlety might have worked a tad better in some angles maybe but i think even and i think that works against hux i think i think i think hux doesn't He's obviously a lot more, you know, extreme or radical, let's say, than Tarkin. But I don't think he necessarily comes across as as a better character or, or someone or a more interesting character than Tarkin. Yeah, I think. First of all, I mean, J.J. Abrams, who directed this movie, is an apprentice himself of Steven Spielberg. Um, they've known each other for a long time, and Steven Spielberg never went bad using the Nazis as the enemies of his movies. So there's that element to it. I also think, I mean, you could argue that the empire was kind of softened and weakened by the, over the last couple of Star Wars movies, you know, with return of the Jedi, you know, probably the low point for the empire might've been getting beaten up by the teddy bears. Um, <laughs> but, but even, so. and that's not, 
that's not only meant to be a, a cheap shot of the Ewoks, but also like taken through to the next, like when you look at where the movies went from then chronologically, when you get to the prequels and the image of the clone troopers, which were very much on the side of the good guys for a large part of their story history. When you look at the movies and the, the cartoons in between. So I think we sort of needed to reset exactly what this what the imagery and the iconography of the Empire slash First Order is. That, yes, these are our villains, and they are as bad as bad can be. So the Nazi comparison is is an easy visual hook to, to sell exactly what you're talking about. Was it a little bit over the head too obvious? Yes. And to your first point, Chad, no, this is not a subtle movie at all. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and I want to say something because Mark, you had the theory about uh, about uh, uh, Plagueis, but I don't know if you've heard. Have you heard Ryan's theory about uh, about the music in the movie and when and when it just sort of takes over? Have you ever heard? Uh, I don't think so. Ryan, you know what I'm talking about. About Empire Strikes Back. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Good. So go. So go ahead. Tell because I have I have a theory about this movie too. So essentially, the the idea came down to. I was talking about The Empire Strikes Back with Rob Kelly on the Film and Water podcast. And the my point that I was making was that in in that movie, during the climactic moment when Darth Vader cuts off Luke's hand, and basically the hero that we've been following for this entire movie loses the battle. And he's maimed, and he's in this moment of, of utter helplessness and weakness. That is our dramatic climax for the movie. And 60 seconds later, it is punctuated with the emotional climax of the movie and this dreaded revelation that Darth Vader is, in fact, Luke Skywalker's father. And our world is just shattered. My whole thing is, from that moment, as soon as he says those words, when you see the horror you know, cover Luke's face, we get this slow buildup of the music. It's the, the Imperial March. Dun, 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 dun. And after that, none of the dialogue in the movie really matters for the next 15 minutes. There's plenty of lines. People are, you know, just kind of like spouting off exposition. But when you consider how dialogue heavy Empire Strikes Back between Yoda's sort of Confucian wisdom and the the back and forth hate flirting between Han and Leia, there are so many great dialogue bits and lines in that movie but they all come before that point when I am your father, because after that Lawrence Kasdan knew the dialogue didn't matter at that point. All the audience is hearing is white noise and trying to figure out if Vader is lying or if it's all bullshit. And from that moment in the movie, John Williams takes over and it's just the music that carries through the next 15 minutes. Um, and that's sort of, that becomes the dialogue of the movie. So that was that was basically my point. That makes sense. Can't argue with that. I think the same thing is true in here. And I don't know when. I can't pinpoint it. But it's sometime between the moment Han dies and the moment Rey gets her lightsaber. Because I will be honest with you, I like John Williams' score in this movie. But it's not nearly as powerful as the original trilogies were. I don't think it's as powerful as some of the prequels either. I... I 
I, th- I agree with you. I like I like it, but I don't think I'd rank it particularly high amongst all the soundtrack all the soundtracks that he's done for this. Well, what I'm saying is the points of the of the John Williams score that I noticed the most happened towards the end of the movie, because the whole stuff with the light with the lightsaber battle. Well, it kind of it kind of picks up right as, as Han dies, because that whole moment on the platform is completely silent, as far as music is concerned. Mm-hmm. Which is one key, in addition to the fact that nothing ever good happens on a walkway over a big dropping area <laughs> in a Star Wars movie. But, but you know, right at right after Han dies, then the music kicks up, and then a few minutes later, when Ray gets the saber, that's when that Jedi theme picks up, and you're like, yep. and you're just like, fuck him. Like I said it, I said it in the theater the first time I saw it. I yelled out because everybody else was you know yelling and hooping and hollering. I, I said, fuck him up. <laughs> like I was real oh, excited. Chad. I was real excited. <laughs> that is there. that is my favorite part of the movie. When so, when the she catches the lightsaber and yeah, we get I think that, a lot. it's That's like emo- the same music as Luke Skywalker looking off at the exactly. sun. Exactly. So so she grabs the saber. She yeah. grabs the saber and then and, and the, you, there's another great point of the music is right right when that battle ends and and, and what I believe is just you know because I talked about the connectedness of the force and the sort of the overall impact it has on the universe. I think the force split them apart right then. You know, drove that chasm between Rey and Kylo. Like that wasn't just a happy accident. <laughs> like that was the force. Like this, this is done now. We'll, we'll get back to this. Uh, the, the something needs to happen between now and then. But there was a very particular. The reason I noticed it because, and I was thinking about you when I saw it the third time, is because a lot of people were talking to me about the end of the movie and how Ray's little walk you know, to the top of the mountain to meet the old man and seek his wisdom sort of moment was a real pace drain. Like it took too long for her to get up there. If you watch that scene and pay really close attention to the music, there's a real, there's a reason it's so long is because John Williams is building to that musical point. When you hear, when, when, when Ray sees him and hands and and is holding out the saber because I don't think it would have the same impact if we got to that point in the music quicker than we did. Mm-hmm. So I, I, all the music I noticed in this movie, other than the opening crawl and sort of a couple of moments here and there throughout the movie, all the music I noticed in this movie take place right after Han dies. Yeah, and and I started thinking of your little equation for the for the for the Empire movie. And I was just like, ah, I don't, I, I kind of see it here too. I think no. I think that's probably pretty valid. I, I would need to, I would need to see the movie a sixth time to really. <laughs> <laughs> because um, because I, I think of the dialogue that happens after that. You know, you got the oh, whole, yeah. you know, Chewie picks them up in the forest. Nothing really happens there. You get the hug between uh, Leia and 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 Ray. Uh, you know, they're mourning, and then R two comes on. But you don't really need to hear the fact that R two's got the map. You see it, right. and. All right, we're gonna go get him, and then Ray gets on the ship, and Leia says, "Is the Force be with you?" And that's about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, thinking about the music a little bit, I I really like the music when Ray is going up those steps. Uh, in fact, I think the track on the soundtrack is called "The Jedi The Jedi Steps." Um, I I really like that beat. I think it was it was used in one of the trailers or TV spots that came out before the movie. 
Um, it's one of the few pieces of the original score that was used in the in the advanced marketing, um, and I I really like that. Uh, in terms of the rest of the soundtrack, that that actually might be the one part of the movie that is subtle. Um, you're right. Like this soundtrack didn't have the Duel of the Fates song or the um, Across the Stars from Episode Two. It didn't have the Imperial March. That big piece of music that you can sort of hear in any context. Like the the movie or the soundtrack that Williams created was a little bit more soft, a little bit a little bit more subtle, a little bit more tied to the the themes. But there are a few beats like. Kylo Ren does have a little bit of of a a theme, mm-hmm. and it's like the same music you hear whenever his ship appears mm-hmm. um, in the yes. different battles. Um, it's this big sort of I, I don't know enough about music to know what the, the the lingo of what what type of sound it is, um, but you can identify if you watch the movie. It's the same theme that plays whenever his ship arrives or whenever he joins a battle. Um, so I yeah the. It's hard to point out like a, a particular bit of music. It's not like, oh, that's as good as Yoda and the Force. Well, no, of course not. But it's still it's good in its own kind of like haunting melodic way. So, see, speaking of the music, just to, to pipe in, one of the things, the, the reason I went looking for the soundtrack had nothing to do with me seeing the movie. I went to go find the tra- soundtrack before I saw the movie because one of the trailers, and I don't, I might have been the second one. Uh, it wasn't one of the TV spot ones, but it, w- it might have been the second trailer, might have been the third, I don't know. But there's a scene in one of the trailers where you see the Knights of Ren, which you haven't really talked about the actual what actually happens in that vision yet. But mm-hmm. when you see the Knights of Ren, and, and, and you guys know Star Wars better than I, so I don't know what the theme is, but it's it's slow, but you hear that, dun, yeah. dun, yep. dun, 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 yeah. I didn't hear that anywhere in the, star, in the, in the movie. It I, wasn't by John Williams. The, okay. the that was for the that was in the the first official trailer that came out during a Monday Night Football game or whenever that was in like mid October. That music it was all they got like two different DJs almost hired by the marketing team that took Williams' score and kind of like remixed and redid the music for that whole trailer. So that no, yeah, I know the music in that trailer sounded awesome. It was so yes. epic. Unfortunately, it wasn't part of the official score. It wasn't part of the soundtrack. It was two different guys. Just because, kind of yeah, whatever that making. was, especially that moment in the trailer where you see the Knights of Ren. Mm-hmm. It was it was it, it hit that high point right when that scene showed up, and I was like, I don't know where this is, but I need to find this music because it sounds really really good. You know what you can do? I think they released. It might be available on YouTube. They released a version of the trailer that's just the music. And it doesn't have any of the dialogue or audio, I don't think. Okay. Um, find that video and just like rip the, bur- like burn the video to an MP3 or something and save <laughs> it on your computer. You can listen to it whenever you want. I have done it. I used it on my podcast. <laughs> well, send me the link. Okay. <laughs> I'll find it. I'll find it for you. No. Uh, I, I yeah. I, I I overall I really enjoyed it. Um, just because we brought it up, we might as well talk about it. I know we've gone on over about over an hour here, but the 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 the. So, so just chronologically, because I've seen it three times now, and I don't know what is said in the vision. Okay. Like I've I've read Yoda, things online. Yoda is hard to hear. Yoda is hard to make out. Obi Wan's is easier to make out once you know when to when to start listening for it. Well, because you hear him say Ray, which evidently they got a, a sound clip of 
the actor like who played Obi Wan like saying "afraid" and like yep. cut it down to say "Ray." Yep. Uh, and you're something about towards the towards the end, you hear something about like just beginning your path or or something it's, like. These yeah, are your first steps. These are okay. So yeah. You, so you that's, put it all that's together. All I heard. I heard Ray, and these are your first steps. The yeah, rest that's of that's really whatever. the whole. That's really the whole line. But they just they just prolonged it. Ray. Oh, it's Obi Wan. Ray. Ray, these are your first steps. And then you and McGregor originally recorded all of it, but they were able to isolate a part out of Alec Guinness. So it's Alec Guinness saying Ray and you and McGregor, you and McGregor saying these are your first steps. Well, the rest of what's being said, I, I, know, I couldn't ever make out. There's a it's, bit of Yoda, and it sounds like it's it sounds like it's Yoda from Empire Strikes Back saying, like, once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. That's the part of, like, I've heard him, I've, it sounds like he's saying forever will it dominate your destiny or something, and I don't know if it's supposed to be the exact line done word for word from Empire, or if they got Frank Oz in to reread something similar. Uh, That's still a little, it's because it's happening as we're getting kind of like this weird avalanche within the force station, so the dialogue is drowned out. It's really hard when you're watching it, especially the first time, it's such a sensory overload of, vi- of visual and audio. It's really hard because your natural instinct as a movie is to watch and to pay attention to the vision physically. But And Frank Oz, they brought Frank Oz in to re-record whatever. I, I have a hard time figuring out what he's saying, too, but they did bring him in to record dialogue, too. So both he and Ewan McGregor did record new dialogue for that vision. The question is, yeah, it might be something we might not really know what. I mean, I'm sure somebody probably has, you know, can tell you tell you exactly what what Yoda says because he's because he's speaking more than once in the trailer and in, in the vision. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a hard that that's hard. Even the even the Obi Wan thing. It was until I read about it when I saw it. This once I saw the movie the second time and going in, I knew about it from. I read about it. I think after I saw the the movie during the marathon. So when I went to see it the second time last week. I was able to pay attention towards the end, and yeah, right when it turns to snow is when you hear Ray, and then right when she's coming back in, you know, into the where the lightsaber is, and at the bottom of Maz Kanata's place, that's when you hear these are your first steps. So, yeah, so we're we're all in agreement that that uh, the first start of the, the the start of the vision takes place in Cloud City, where he lost the lightsaber in the first place, right? Yes, in that yes. hallway. Yep. Well, the big debate is. The stuff you see with Luke, that the scene you saw in the trailer where he reaches out towards R2, and then the stuff where you see the Knights of Ren, whether that takes place in the past or the future. I mean, I past. I personally think the past because Luke probably told R2 to shut down or something, or, and and R2 does look weather worn there. And the the only reason I think the whole Knights of Ren thing took place in the past also is because Snoke brings up the Knights of Ren later on, and that's the only time you get that name. Right. So you see, the, you see the bodies too. You see yes. the bodies all over. The so place. are those? Are are did did Kylo have like a Anakin moment, killing all the Padwans or whatever? Like is is that what we think? Or it's it's a weird that chronologically is weird because if if we're putting together the like the the vision in a narrative sequence, we see Luke by a fire. Appeared like putting putting his hand on R two. We see that before we get the vision of the Knights of Ren, what seemed to be decimating somebody on this field. Now, are you sure? Because I thought yes. there were I thought because I thought there were more than one image of of of, the, of Kylo and, and the Knights and the Knights there. So maybe they showed Kylo first, and then you're right. Maybe you reacted, and then you saw, and then you saw, and then you saw the bodies and more of the Knights of Ren. But either, but I think Luke is clearly reacting to finding all the dead bodies because. 
And that's why I, th- I think we're seeing him by that fire before we see Kylo Ren cutting down like the Jedi and standing in like the, the rainy field with the other bodies. Yeah, and- we, we, we see we see the whole Luke thing before we see Kylo because it, it's it's the scene on the Cloud City, then the whole crumbling thing and the, the camera turn and then you see Luke and then she turns around and someone's getting stabbed through the gut with a saber and it's Kylo, and then you see the Knights of Ren. When I watch it the next time, I'll pay even more attention to that scene. I, I thought I thought there was some image of Kylo before Luke was on R two, and then maybe, but I'll, I'll pay more. I'll pay more attention. So, like, who are the Knights of Ren? Like, I know they don't tell us, so it's just purely speculative. But are the Knights of Ren just locals that uh, that Ren was able to convert? Are they people supplied by Snoke? Are they his classmates? "Quote unquote," because I I don't believe that Kylo was Luke's only student, uh, and or, or like who who are the Knights of Ren? Like from the movie, all we hear is one reference when Snoke says he is the master of the Knights of Ren. He says right. Kylo Ren is the master of the Knights of Ren. Yeah, but that's all we know from the movie. But like official, like J.J. Abrams said that they're this weird little sect. They are not the Sith. But they're this weird little group that I think worships Darth Vader. Now, did Kylo Ren create them or was he adopted by them? They said he changed his name to Kylo Ren when he joined this order. So have the Knights of Ren been around for millennia or what? And if he joined them, how soon and how quickly did he advance to be called the master of the Knights of Ren? I think it's also worth noting that when we see like there's like seven of them or I think around Kylo Ren on that, on that rainy field. He's the only one with a lightsaber. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, the, see, I like that idea. I, I know it ties in. We'll see now that lots of things have been leaked about the Batman V Superman movie. We know, you know what the guys with the Superman patches on are supposedly supposed to be, but, uh, and what that scene is. But I, as much as I don't like the Church of Superman idea, I like the idea of churches in the Star Wars universe, people who are not Jedi or Sith, but are Force sense. Like, more, like it, it, again, I keep bringing it up, but my favorite thing about the Force is just the connectedness. Like, that's why I like Maz so much, is because she's not a Jedi, and but she's been around th- a thousand ish plus some years, and she, you know she does the whole. You know, you live long enough, you see the same eyes in different people. And, you know, that moment where she tells uh, Ray to just close your eyes and listen, and that's something that obviously you don't hear Maz's lines again, but you obviously know that that's what Ray is thinking about in that moment with the lightsaber battle with with Kylo. Mm -hmm. So I like the idea of there being, I don't know, force devotees out there who aren't necessarily sensitive in one way or the other, but serious believers, if, if you will. Um, and speaking of that lightsaber battle, and we don't have to talk about this, but one of the things I like about it, other than the fact that it takes place in a snowy, dark place, so the blues and the reds really play off of one another, is, I don't know if you ever noticed, in the, you prob- you'd guys probably noticed, but some of, the people's, some of the people listening ever noticed, on some of the old lightsaber battles, it had an almost X-ray-like effect on people's faces whenever, like, they went up against each other, and you can kind of see that here. Like, the light of the lightsabers is playing off people's faces, and it's almost like 
it's 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 real quick but there are like quick gl- glimpses and seconds where you almost see like it's almost like an x-ray of someone's face uh, on their skin you can see sort of bone and it and, and it just really sharp contrast off their face uh which i love that that effect is in there um but yeah i i like the idea of there like being a force church kind of idea so i mean i know we don't learn much about it in the movie but i i like your idea <laughs> So let's see. I'm trying to think. Have we big... shot our bolt? No. No, <laughs> Mark. No. No. <laughs> no. We, haven't t- we haven't touched upon on everything. I, by the way, I wanted to say this before. I kind of the idea of when Ray and uh, Kylo are being split. You know, when the planet breaks apart, and how you said, you know, that you know that was not by not by accident, as in not by a plot, not not by convenience of plot either. That makes that does make sense from the will of the, the will of the force concept because it's kind of like how how Anakin was able to survive on Mustafar when he really should have been dead. <laughs> but And that's kind of why Obi, theoretically, that's why Obi-Wan left him there, not just because he didn't want to be the one finishing him off, but he basically left it to the will of the Force. If he was supposed to live, he would live. If he was supposed to die, he would die. So, so it makes sense that the Force would keep them apart at the moment because that's not, your dest- their destinies lied on different paths and their paths are, you know, are not they're meant to cross again, but, but you know the resolution wasn't meant to happen then. Um, let's see. Uh, we obviously have to talk about Ray. That's probably the, the biggest one we haven't talked about yet is, uh, mm-hmm. who we, Ray's journey, who we actually think she is, who it's likely she's going to be. Uh, I know from, from reading the book, the book doesn't give you much greater insight other than Kylo. They kind of hint at it in the movie a little bit, but the book is a little more, a little less subtle in making it clear that Kylo seems to know exactly who she is. He never says who she is, but he seems to know who she is based on his interaction with her. Like she almost has to be this one person, but he doesn't say who it is. So, well, I don't remember where I heard it, and it's probably it was probably on the fire and water thing or film and water thing. But wasn't there a, someone was saying something about how like uh, you know Maz goes, "Who's the girl?" and then it cuts away, mm-hmm. and the next the very next time you see Maz, she knows everything about Ray. <laughs> like, right. So, like, Han knows who Ray is. Because there's a moment when they get off the Falcon, and he asks, who is, who are you? And she says, Ray. And he's silent for a minute and looks away before he offers her the job on the Falcon. Mm-hmm. Like, he sort of recognized her. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. Every, I, obviously, everybody thinks she's Luke's daughter. I... I don't know where I heard the idea, but the whole Obi-Wan thing, like she's a relative of Obi-Wan, I kind of hope that's true instead. That was me. Okay. (laughs) That was mine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which which I I would be personally fine with because I love Obi-Wan, except they kind of already said that the idea is continuing the Skywalker family saga, which kind of makes you think that that's not going to be the way they're going to go. But Ben Solo is technically a Skywalker. Yeah, but he's irredeemable. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. I, I... you can't make him the hero now. No matter what he does, he can't. He's not going to be a hero. True. Well, yeah. Well, uh, is he going to be a hero in story, or is he is is you can't make him a hero to the fans because he killed Han? I don't think. He, like, is is he irredeemable in story in this universe, or do you do? You, are we just saying he's irredeemable because from the outside looking in as a fan, he killed Han? It's not even just what is killing Han is like the exclamation point at the end of the sentence. It's all the shit that he, he did. Bef- he's already done. Even the stuff that we we know. There's tons of crap we don't know that he's done. But just the stuff that we already have seen and know that he that he did makes him. I mean, he, 
the, the worst thing Anakin kind of did was pretty much kill those kill, kill the younglings at the temple, and and he's already done that. He's already accomplished that, and even worse because I mean, he they were fellow students of his essentially. Some of these were when he when he tur- when he turned and he came back and he killed them. God, you uh, kill one room full of little kids. I know, and it just haunts you forever, for right? <laughs> uh, I think both. I I think this is again following following the beats that we've seen before. I can't. Well, I think Ryan's point would be yes. It would be interesting if he survived the trilogy, having turned back to the light, and then having almost like tying it into the normal context of this podcast, having a Hal Jordan parallax kind of moment after the fact when you got to deal with the ramifications for what you did, even if you can try to explain you weren't entirely in control when you did it. Yeah, it could be it could be interesting. Do I think they're doing that? No, I think there's something. I think it's going to be a Vader-like sacrifice. He's going to give himself up at the end, do some nice positive gesture at the end to try to go out a hero. But does that really necessarily make up for every all the damage that that you've done? I don't know. I I think I think much like Vader, I don't think he really can truly truly be redeemed. He's, I don't think you can redeem him and carry on the Skywalker family saga with Kylo Ren being the hero. Uh, so I think you. So if that's where they're going with it, and they kind of said they're gonna make it about you know continuing that saga, then I think Ray has to be a Skywalker. Personally, like I said, I love Obi Wan. I would love to see a, relative, a descendant like Obi Wan's granddaughter, but carrying on. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think I don't think that's what I think Ray is going to be a Skywalker. The question is who who we think she likely belongs to. Yeah. See, and I lean towards that. I mean, I, I want the Obi Wan thing. To be there just because I don't want, you know, Finn is Lando's son and, <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff. But I mean, I, I kind of lean towards the Luke thing just because of the saber. I mean, it was Anakin's, it was Luke, and now it calls to you. But it, you know, but, like, but between it being Anakin's and Luke's, Obi Wan had that lightsaber for twenty years. <laughs> but in a chest, though, man, in a chest. <laughs> You don't think he ever just went out and just, you know, touched it a little bit, just polished it? <laughs> just well, I, I touched it are, a little bit. I think bit. there are some different, I think, <laughs> it's bad. I think there, I think there are some actually structural, a little, some structural differences between when Anakin had it and Vader, I mean, and Luke got it. So I think there, obviously, Obi-Wan probably did some tinkering on it, but not the way other people might have implied. <laughs> oh my. Let me uh, let me clean the blood stain of the younglings that's still on my <laughs> that's hand. Right. That's, that's right. Oh God. Um, well, my thinking that it pot- potentially being Obi Wan, part of it is just it's thinking outside the box, and also because there there is a chance that they have talked about on some levels of doing an Obi Wan standalone movie after Episode Nine comes out, um, and. I would be interested in you and McGregor coming back for that, just to sort of salvage some something of that. Um, I also, I just the way they set up the timeline. I don't know if it works for her being Luke's daughter, and if he really just dumped her on some desert planet with this yeah, ugly that, that, that I don't monster. Like. like that's <laughs> no matter what happened to the to the younglings, I don't believe Luke would leave behind his child. And and. The entire backstory of what happened with Luke does not I, I am not happy about the fact that Luke essentially did this the exact same thing as his mentors that he taught somebody who went bad, killed all the Jedi, and Luke went drinking in Ireland, as my wife says. <laughs> um, I, 
that's we've seen that story before. I wanted something so different from, but that's all that it is. Um, so I, I'm I'm trusting. I'm giving the film, filmmakers in the next couple of movies some leeway. I hope they give more backstory and and give a little bit more credit to Luke that he didn't just quit on being a Jedi Master when things went bad, but. Especially when there's, you know, there's, there's certainly a track record there. Almost, a, we've we've seen enough Jedi masters. I mean, just in the trilogies, we've seen <laughs> enough people have, you know, have their padawans go bad for some, even if they were not their true. I mean, I mean, pa, you know, padawan for ten or fifteen years, just the fact that somebody who they instructed for a long period of time and had, you know, had close personal relationship with turned bad. I mean, have we I ever mean, seen a good Jedi apprenticeship? Have I mean, ever- and you cut Yoda some slack because Yoda's been training Jedi for so long. The law of averages increases. You're going to get a bad seed once in a while. But, but oh yeah, Qui Gon and Obi Wan. I'm not. No, Qui-Gon I'm not saying died. you never had somebody succeed. What I'm saying is you. Yeah, but Qui Gon would have taken on Anakin, and we don't. We, people assume Anakin would have turned out different if, if Qui Gon had trained him. But there's no guarantee that would have happened. Uh, but but uh, but also, but Dooku trained uh, Qui. I mean, it's the thing is that you can't. He, Luke himself knows just from the Obi-Wan experience that as great a Jedi as Obi-Wan was, and yes, to be honest, he was saddled with damaged goods when he got Anakin, and he didn't pick him, on, he didn't pick him by choice. He, he picked him out of obligation. But still, the point was, as great a Jedi as Obi-Wan was, and as well as he really did teach Anakin, it didn't matter cause, because Anakin was flawed. And if you're flawed, you can, only, you can kind of rough, rough, you know, smooth out the rough edges, but it may not always work. So I, he should know firsthand and even from – and you have to – here's another thing. You have to assume that Obi-Wan and Yoda and Luke have been communing over these years. I mean the fact that they appear – that vision, uh, audio, audibly they appear to, to Ray, and that vision indicate that they're still around and you know, able to maintain their identity, which would be stupid not to use them going forward because especially Yoda. You don't have to worry about how do we make Yoda look because it's, a, you know, it's CGI anyway. It's easy to make Yoda appear as a ghost. And I think they can work around the Obi Wan thing with using t- two. I think they can work around how a Jedi spirit can look a little different, especially let's say if he were to come to Rey, Obi Wan, he could appear younger because Rey has no preconceived notion about how Obi Wan should look. But they have. To, I think they should use those characters, and and I think they will. But you would have to think Luke has been communing with them over the years. So the why? I mean, I don't understand why, unless there unless there was a reason. And like Ryan, maybe you hint, you kind of like hinted at that. Maybe there's more to the story than we know. Maybe there's a reason why Luke has t- pulled himself off center stage to, because maybe he needed, maybe much like Luke had to come to Obi Wan really before t- to begin the training, which was part of something they talked about in the novelization for Sith. When Obi Wan says, "I'm gonna, I'll take Luke to Tatooine and I'm gonna start training him at a young age the way Anakin should have been taught," and, and Yoda, Yoda goes, "No." We're not going to do that. We're going to wait till Luke comes to us, and then we're going to train him, changing mm-hmm. things from the way the order used to be. So maybe something like that has happened and transpired after the massacre of the students that they've said that you have to wait. That you're going to have these student now come to you, the one who's going to begin, you know, help us get things back the way it should be. But you have to wait for that student to come to you. So maybe that's part. Of the oh, like, like, kind of what we were talking about. Like, wait for the force to figure it uh-huh. out. Yeah. yeah, and I think that could be that would make more sense because again, if Obi Wan and Yoda had been talking to Luke, you would have to think that if this was something they were against, they would really. It, it would kind of be hard. They could 
to believe they couldn't get through to Luke after all, all these years because Luke has been gone for a while because they make it clear even in the, in the crawl that the First Order rose up in Luke's absence. So it's not like – so they, didn't, they, don't even, even, they don't even imply that you know, it was like in the middle of the battle or, or the First Order was starting to gain ground and Luke just cut and run. He kind of made it sound like there was a void that was filled by the First Order once, once Luke left. Plus the, the book. Go ahead, Brian. You, th- you think the Star Wars movies are just one long protracted argument against public schooling <laughs> and for homeschooling? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, plus, uh, and actually, there's an that was a good point. I actually, in, in the joke, there's a point I want to come back to, but because okay. in the in the novelization in the novelization for Force Awakens, they make it clear that one of the reasons Han wants Kylo to take his mask off on that bridge is because he's never seen Kylo as an adult. So when Kylo turned, he had to be no older than a teenager, probably maybe a little, maybe a younger teenager when he turned. So obviously Kylo's been there. Kylo's been dark for a while. Luke's been gone for a while. And then if you want to say this opens the door for maybe Han and Leia technically maybe being Rey's parents because maybe Leia was pregnant when Han left and put the kid into hiding because of what Kylo had done and to protect them. That kind of opens that door a little bit because there is an age difference between Kylo and Rey. So they... They probably can't really be twins, but they could be. She, he, she could potentially have been born after Kylo turned bad, or, or somewhere. It'd be pushing it, but they probably could get away with it, depending on what the age of the characters are, mm-hmm. what how old Kylo's supposed to be. There's like a ten or fifteen age, ten or fifteen year age difference between their characters, even though obviously you know Adam Driver doesn't look that much older than Daisy Ridley. Then they could get away with maybe Leia was pregnant. When Kylo turned, when Han left, she never told Han, and then she did her best to put, you know, to take care of the kid, put her, put the kid in hiding, which might have been why she and Jakku were Max von Sydow's character, who obviously has a long personal relationship with Leia, could keep an eye on her. Mm-hmm. But back well, to your, but your, your public, your, your training, your, your homeschooling concept. Some people have said, oh, well, and this is people. And I can understand on the surface, you know, people who don't aren't into it as much may not get it. But the idea that, oh, Luke couldn't have a kid because that's going against the Jedi code and stuff like that. When just like people think the Jedi had to be celibate when that actually wasn't the Jedi code. The Jedi code was you weren't supposed to have attachment. (laughs) Nothing ever said you couldn't have sex. You just couldn't really have you not. You weren't supposed to have relationships where it would take free love. baby. (laughs) You weren't supposed to take the focus away that could conflict with the Jedi order. Because as we saw with Anakin, that's what it could lead to. Between your responsibilities to the order and your personal responsibilities, it could be a major conflict. And plus, kind of what's impl- kind of what also was implied with in Revenge of the Sith, the book talks about this too. That Yoda supposedly, when he was fighting Palpatine, came up. He had this mo- this uh, moment of clarity when he was fighting Palpatine of why what the Jedi did wrong. Basically, how they were the architects of their own destruction to get to this point. So he knew the Jedi had to change, and the way things were done had to change. But, of course, it wouldn't have meant shit if he didn't get out of there. If he died fighting Palpatine, it wouldn't have mattered. So that's one of the reasons why that fight supposedly was, didn't, didn't end with one or the other dying, that he had to get out of there because he knew how to save the Jedi Order. That the idea that training now had to be different, and now that Luke is the first of the, he is the last of the old but the first of the new. So it doesn't mean that, the train, that things, have to, things have to be done the same way. Plus the fact we know things weren't done the same way even in this movie because Luke had more than one student at a time. <laughs> By necessity, of course, if you're trying to bring back the Jedi Order you, and you're, you're a human, you only have so many years to train so many students if you do one after the other after the other. But still, the point is the old rules don't apply anymore. So the idea of Luke having a kid 
you know, that doesn't really conflict with what the modern, you know, the, the postmodern version of what, a, what the Jedi have to be in order to survive. I think the next movie will have to shed some light on this. And I think a lot of it will depend on how Kylo Ren was turned. Because I don't get the sense that he was like Anakin, where he was just a sexually frustrated teenager with some anger <laughs> issues. No, this guy. Uh, according, to, according to Leia, who, yeah, whoever, she says it was Snow. Yeah, whoever he is, and he's been around for a while. And by the way, everybody seems to know who he is. Leia knows who he is. Han knows who he is. Whoever Snoke is, he had some sort of connection to Ben Solo and corrupted him, presumably from a distance, maybe um, over time. And I mean, we just we don't know enough about that. But I think. I think that's something that the next movie needs to answer is how was Ben Solo corrupted? How did he turn to the dark side? Who is Snoke? How did he do accomplish this? And I think that will inform exactly why Luke chose to make the decisions that he made and why he left. So, oh, we'll see. Um, because there was so much going on in that discussion. Going back to Ray just a little bit, um, I do want to mention that of all the characters in the movie, Ray was my favorite. I think they did. Mm-hmm. I think they did a terrific job of. They made her the main character, and she was mm-hmm. the one I wanted to follow the entire time. She was just terrific. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't have much else to say about it. I will say this: I agree with everything we're, we're saying. We should see in the next movie. There's one thing though I want to see in the next movie that, again, I don't have much expanded universe. Uh, exposure outside of the Thrawn trilogy. Uh, I have those three books. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see Leia as a Jedi. And I don't mean like fully trained or, or you know like as on par with Luke. I just want to I just want there to be some scene where it's obvious that Luke has spent time with his sister teaching her the ways of the Force. Like so so Rey is giving Luke the blue saber. Maybe before Luke left he gave Leia, the green saber he had in Return of the Jedi. Like, you know, Leia is... Someone's coming after Leia, and it's clear she's about to die, then all of a sudden, <laughs> she whips out the green saber and starts wrecking shop on somebody. Like, I I, I want... I, I get that Carrie Fisher is... I, I, didn't she say something about she's trying to not do... She's not able to do any real stunts or anything like that? I, I don't know what, what her... Because I know she's had a kind of sketchy past in terms of like help you know health issues brought on by you know the stuff she did when she was younger and all this other stuff but i i i think i really really want to see leia it it being obvious that she had some sort of training like some like because i i don't as a brother myself i don't like the idea of you know having this sharing this thing with my sister and not you know, bringing her up to par on this thing that we very uniquely share. Like, I, I would never do that to my sister. You know, like, I, I would want to know, I, I would I would want to see that, you know, the, in the 30-whatever years between Jedi and, and The Force Awakens, that something happened. You know, there was some training, yes, obviously with the, Ky- the whole Kylo thing and all of that, but I want to see, you know, that after after Return of the Jedi something happened between Luke and Leia. Like, they went off and did their thing. and So you know, to speak. You might want to rephrase. <laughs> well, you know, you, you, you know what I mean. Uh, you kiss your sister one time. One time. 
Skywalker uh, such a sketchy past. To to quote Archer, uh, phrasing. <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, I mean, like, because I was, because it's been a while since I read the Thrawn trilogy. Weren't there moments where like Han would walk in on Leia and she was training with a saber okay. or something like that? Yeah. So I, I, I mean, she was I, from from those Thrawn books. Leia was never as adept at the Force as. Luke was, is from what I remember, but I don't know if the expanded universe ever made her full on Jedi. They did eventually, but she was still her. She she always had a, a different path because she was never as devoted to that to that journey to that part of her destiny. I mean, it, it wasn't her destiny. She wasn't meant to do that. She her her position was in politics and the sort of shaping the galactic sphere as as it was. So. I, I agree with you. I would like to see her do something with the Force beyond just being intuitive and sensitive to people's emotions and people dying, you know, light years away. Um, I mean, I don't need to see her go full-on Jedi badass fighter, but mm. you have it doing something a little bit more overt with the Force, even if it's something like a mind trick or just, you know, like prodding at somebody, getting some kind of information, doing something a little bit where it's like, Oh yeah, the force is strong in her family, and she has it too. That would be cool. Mm-hmm. I would like to see that. Just, just don't expect to see it. That's what I was thinking the whole time I was watching the Force Awakens for the first time. I was like, "Is Leia going to do anything?" I went in. I no, I went into the movie going, "I hope Leia does something." And, and it's not like that was the main thing I wanted to see, but it was on my list. Like I wanted to see Leia do something with the Force because. What was the one of the great things about the original Star Wars trilogy is how everybody came out the other side as far as girls and stuff are concerned, idolizing Leia for being such a strong-willed badass. Well, at the end of Jedi, you figure out she's got this, you know, the same lineage, maybe not the same power level, but the same lineage as Luke. So, you know, some of the complaints about this movie kind of some of them center around kind of how Leia's kind of a non-entity. Uh, in, in this movie for you know and I in a way I kind of agree with that and I think what would help fix Leia being a kind of non-entity other than being the sort of leader of the of the resistance it, or rebellion or whatever you want to call it uh, is her having some adept and some training and some you know knowledge and use of the force I think you might see I would say don't exp- yeah I'll- the idea of seeing her full on Jedi, I don't, I don't think we're going to see that. I'm not saying you say you think we will. I, mean, I know you want to. I'm just making it clear. I don't. I just. I know, I know Abrams isn't directing the next two, but he kind of made it clear, you know, from at least his, at least this vi- version, this vision, his vision, this version of Leia. That that's just kind of like what we've talked about. That's not where her path was, and that's and she never and she may and she is force sensitive. I w- I am sure she is more force sensitive than she was just by opening herself up to that aspect of herself. Whether Luke completely trained, whether tra- did a lot of training or very little training with her, I don't know. I, lo- I would be nice to see some of it. Uh, if she did have full on training, it obviously would be cool if she basically like kind of like took it out on Snoke from turning her son to the dark side. <laughs> it's like take this, you bastard. But, oh, that's another theory I heard that Snoke is actually Leia manipulating her son that she went to the dark side. Oh God! <laughs> what? I, that makes no I, sense. I, I, can, I can top that. I, I can top that theory with an even shittier theory. I've, my friend told me the other day, and this is 
I kind of feel, again, tying it into the, no, the normal subject matter of our podcast, this kind of relates in a different way, or kind of sort of, to the Kyle fans who just have to have Kyle be special. Hey. I know, but, but at least Kyle has done something to justify that, as opposed to Boba Fett, who doesn't, <laughs> who doesn't justify anything because he did jack shit in the only two movies he was ever in. But people just love Boba Fett because he looks cool. Kind of like the people that were bitching about. I had somebody, somebody asked a question. I, I don't want to go off on this for more than a second. Somebody, asked, somebody post, posted something on Kaz Monado, like a picture of her. And I posted, yeah, you know, I really liked her character. And somebody said, oh, I didn't like her character because she had three times as much, as much screen time as someone cooler like Captain Phasma. And it's like, well, maybe you just thought Captain Phasma was going to be cool because she looked cool. <laughs> or she might be relevant because she looked cool. Kind of like Boba Fett Light. But somebody, but the theory, the, the stupider theory the stupidest theory I've heard so far is that friggin' Boba Fett is Snoke. Yeah, it makes no sense whatsoever, but let's go with that. <laughs> Boba, Boba Fett has no ties to the, to the dark side. His ties to the Empire were tenuous at best because of cash. But yeah, he all of a sudden, now he's a puppet master. Why? Because Boba Fett has to be special and he has to still be alive and be important. Well, since you brought it up, I was a little disappointed in, in Phasma not being a bigger entity. I don't, I mean, yes, I think she looks cool. And yes, that the, the look of her made me want to see more of her. However, there was really no justification for her to look cool. You know, she could have been in a regular Stormtrooper outfit and just been, you know, the leader of the Stormtroopers. So, like, I, 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 I kind of, I don't know, I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like I don't expect her, I didn't expect her to have, like, a, a, a huge role in the movie or anything. But I kind of expected more than what we got. I think there's two things they could have done with Phasma. They either could have saved the the character, the actress, the armor, the suit, the whole look of the character, saved it for the next movie, and just made made what little she does in this movie could have been done by any stormtrooper or any officer, like you said. True. They should have saved her for the next movie and given her more to do, or Phasma should have been the stormtrooper that fought Finn on Takodana yes. with the yes. this sort of stun baton. Because we, like, so basically set up the scene the same way, but you've got Phasma there during that battle, killing some of the weirdo freaks that came out of the rubble, gave her, like, two shots of her blast or whatever. She sees Finn, she screams, traitor, throws her gun down, takes out the, like, the stun baton, and they go at it, and she still, I mean, that stormtrooper beats Finn, he's on the ground helpless, and then Chewie blasts him, and then you could have had Chewie, or, or Han, whoever was holding the bowcaster at that point, blasts what would have been Captain Phasma, and that could have been her death, or you could have said, no, she survived because of special armor, whatever. I mean, you didn't, you don't necessarily need more of her if she has a cool scene like that. Like, yeah. that, that could have been her, her whole point of the story, and she still looks cool, but she doesn't have to survive. Now, maybe she will get something really super cool to do in episode eight. And given how much they're merchandising the hell out of her look, I'm sure we will see her. She didn't die in a trash compactor off screen. So yeah. supposedly, yeah, supposedly there, she has a, she has a decent, something, something relevant and cool to do. That I think, I think it's episode eight, that not pushing it down the road, kicking the can down the road any longer. I think, so I think that's that's probably what they're going to do. So, but I agree. I think they. It's almost like they didn't need to cast that role, and put a real you know, put a star in that role for the amount for this movie. If they were going to just have that. Well, Gwendolyn Christie wanted to be in it. Like that was 
Isn't that, I, I read that somewhere that yeah. Gwendolyn, she was really looking to be, just give me anything. Yeah, it was it was kind of a combination of she wanted to do the movie, they had this opening for a part, they really liked the look of the costume because it was an early design for Kylo Ren that they ended up scrapping, and all of this stuff sort of merged to kind of like make something that looked and sounded a whole lot cooler than what the page actually justified. So, we'll see, we'll see what they do with her next. All right, we got anything else? Um, let's see. Uh, reg- regarding Poe, do you how much do you think structurally or just overall how much do you think it hurt that he was that he everything pointed to him really being dead and then he just shows up later on? Do you think that was you think that was kind of pushing it for for, for some people as far as buying it? Because you see him fly the first time people I, see him I in the X-wing again, going, "Oh, how is he alive?" I didn't. I didn't buy that he was dead at all. Well, I know, but I mean, because to to me in Star, like when it comes to movies like Star Wars, the experience I've had with you know that that universe, show me a body and I'll believe it. <laughs> yeah, I think the I I knew that he wasn't dead just because I'd seen right images of him, like, and so I knew that he had more screen time. What I felt that they missed was we should have found out, we should have seen him alive at the same time that Finn and BB-8 saw him alive. So essentially what they needed to do was cut out all of the shots of him inside his X-Wing during that battle outside of Maz Kanata's castle. Um, and we only see him like once or twice like in that scene where we actually see him inside the X-Wings. That should have all been exterior stuff. We only see Finn and Han reacting to the X-Wing fighters, and we see them flying around. And we can maybe get a hint like what Chad was talking about earlier when we get that long shot of of Poe's X-Wing blowing away like 10 different TIE fighters and two different groups of like stormtroopers. And it ends with Finn saying, that's one hell of a pilot. We could have gotten that and thought, hmm, maybe, but we shouldn't have seen Poe still being alive until we see Finn witness him climbing out of the cockpit because Finn is our connection to him. It meant more for Finn. And when they kind of, split our reaction like I, when i one of the times i saw the movie with my mom she didn't know who that was the second time like when he shows up again like it wasn't until later she was like wait that's the same guy from the beginning i'm like yeah it was so i think some of the audience members they may have lost the connection that that's who we were supposed to be following but... i like that i think that i think i think uh writing wise i think I think that would have worked better to do that. To, to, I mean, to, to make the to make it to, yeah, to make it not so to not raise to not have a lot of people's first reaction be when they see him in the in the in the X wing. Well, how is he alive? As opposed right, to, right. you could see that maybe or just or even you know you kind of you kind of almost like a slow build. It's the same way BB eight just runs you know just blows past Finn. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like so just just the you know the reveal and it's like then you had that. Maybe even maybe even when Finn and, and uh, Poe are talking, just give a little. I mean, he does kind of give the explanation, but it's just yeah, yeah. But so I think that could have. I think that could have worked. I mean, the book the book kind of shows you earlier, which makes sense. In the book, it's easier to do without because you don't because you really can't keep that mystery in the in the novel. But the novel makes it clear, kind of like how at least the beginnings of uh, how Poe ended up getting off of Jakku, how that began. <laughs> And that's that's the only alternative is you have a scene of him waking up in the desert and and stealing a ship or buying a ship or something and getting off the planet. But just for the sake of pacing and structure, you don't need right. that. It, again, yep. it's not his movie. We're not following him. 
That's um, true. The one thing that I, before we before we wrap this up, I did want to bring up Finn uh, because I I like the character. He was really fun, mm. and a, so much of that I think is it goes to John Boyega's performance. He just brought so much fun and energy to it. But the more I sit with Finn, uh, the more I think about it, I'm kind of wondering where does he go from here? Like if he, if he had died in that fight with Kylo Ren, if Kylo Ren killed him at the end, I kind of feel like Finn's story would have been complete. Like he, he got the characters where they needed to be at this point, but like, where does he go in episode eight? He's not a pilot. He's not a Jedi. He's okay. He's a trained soldier, but his, I mean, we we haven't seen him be a good soldier, really. So we're kinda, <laughs> That's we're, true. We're, we're going to have to sort of rebuild him from scratch, almost. The only thing I'm sort of interested in is, I mean, they set it up like maybe that will they'll like Finn and Ray will be this love interest, the romantic couple we want to follow. But I don't know if I necessarily need to see that. I'm actually more interested in the bromance between Finn and Poe. Like, <laughs> Their relationship was a lot more fun, and like yeah. I, their chemistry was great. So, I just, I, I, I really have no idea what Finn's, what the next part of his story is. Like, I assume he'll stick around with the resistance, but doing what? Right. Yeah, because they could, they could have killed him off. Probably if they, let's put it this way, if they were, if they had decided not to kill Han off, then yeah, I'm sure they would have killed Finn off because mm-hmm. he could have, he could have filled a similar role. But again, following the pattern. Which is why a lot of people were saying, oh, Luke had to die in this movie, which never made any sense, for multi- I think, for many reasons. That Han filled the role of the mentor dying in front of the student. <laughs> that filled that role. It filled the Qui-Gon dying in front of Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan dying in front of Luke. You, you had the father-like mentor figure to Rey dying in front of her. So that kind of – so that made sense structurally. But I think, yeah, it's kind of – it's good. I don't – see, I don't think – I don't think Finn and Rey are going to – I don't think they're going to be romantic only because if you look at the way Ray has acted towards him, even at the end of the movie, she cares about him, but you know, she makes the point of, but it's, you know, she doesn't kiss him on the lips. No friend refer- zone. Yes. And she <laughs> refers to friend zone. And especially cause she says, thank you, my friend or whatever, when she kisses him on the forehead. So I don't think, I don't, I don't really think they're setting, unless they're going to th- you know, throw us a curve. I don't think they're trying to make us think this is where it's naturally going to go. Kind of like they're not setting up the, this movie certainly does not set up the love triangle that, like, the original Star Wars seemingly set up. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, if, if anyone's probably going to end up with Rey, it might be Poe, but you really don't have much interaction with those two characters. Even in the they book, never you see don't each have... other in this movie. Like, they have no scenes together in this movie. No, they don't. Because even in the book, they barely interact. It's like, and literally, they write it. I think they write it where, where, where Poe, like, says, you know, he says this awkwardly. Like, that's almost like a, in the book that... The, is written that way when he goes, uh, hi, I like I'm Poe or whatever. So they like this intro, they have this, this, you know, this brief, this brief introduction or something. So, but, but who knows? Maybe, it, but who, I don't know. So I, but I do think, I do agree. I don't know. I don't necessarily, when you say that, I don't know where, where Finn's, Finn, obviously Finn's knowledge of the first order and their tactics and their strategy and their weaknesses and their strengths, you know, certainly as a, an advisory or consultant aspect is, is very, very important. I think he would be okay on the ground because we've seen that he has no trouble killing first order, you know, members. That his his real issue was killing civilians. That he had he really couldn't he was right. not comfortable with killing innocent people and and probably also what the first order was standing for was kind of like conflicting internally. Of course, it might some of that might depend if we do find out who you know who Finn really is. 
what you know what what his lineage is. I don't so, think it matters. I don't think his identity is a secret. I really think he was just a kid, kid like picked up off the ground, like yeah. and adopted. Like I, they, they everybody makes such a big. I I don't think he's related to anybody we know. I don't think his identity matters. Yeah. So you think um, that? Was, so you think that was a basically a, a JJ red herring saying that we would both reckon, we would both know basically Ray and and Finn. If we knew their last names, it would mean something to us. I Did think he, so. I think yeah. But now, now getting back to your other point, I I think I mean. If this does follow the structure of the classic films, and this one certainly did follow, then you know we might think that Ray and Finn are set up to be the romantic couple, and by the next movie we might find out they're brother and sister. Nothing. I'm not editing that silence. It's, out. Not, like, no. it's not like Fantastic Four again. <laughs> it's all the only. The only thing that points against that is that Finn seems to have no, no, even a hint of the Force with him at all. Right, right. Not even, at all. That's the. I mean, unless, unless the only thing they had in common, let's say, was was the mother, and the mother was a Leia, obviously, probably for Finn's sake. I mean, based on that, wouldn't make any sense. No, there's no Lando jokes, please. <laughs> <laughs> we knew, but if yeah, if, let's say if, you truly belong yeah, with us yeah, up if, here if, in the cloud. You know, the common thread was the mother, but not the father. Then, then yeah, but that would be really be pushing it then. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, I think if anyone's going to be brother and sister, it'd be it'd be Kylo and it would be Kylo and Ray, and well, obviously not twins, but they would be. But, but if yeah, well, I, th- I think I think the problem comes in draw, drawing analogs in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like we're we're, assu- we're we're assuming that Finn has, you know, just based on what you said, Ryan, we're assuming that that Finn doesn't have a role to play because we're comparing it to the other roles in other movies doesn't necessarily mean they can't come up with a role for him. But, see, I, I, I kind of see it, it. It's kind of weird, and, and, and forgive me, but, I mean, we see, we, we, we were talking about Poe and how he's sort of Wedge, sort of Lando. I kind of, I, I have a hard time figuring out, now, obviously, Ray is more Luke, but I, I kind of have a hard time figuring out who is Han and who is Luke, Ray or Finn. They have kind of attributes of both characters. Yes, so I, I think the problem comes in trying to draw an analog in the first place. Stop trying to define Ray by Luke and Finn by Han, and you know, like trying trying to make you know do a one for one, you know, ejection of the old character and insert the new. You know, it doesn't necessarily. I mean, just because that dynamic worked and was awesome and it's cool and we'd like to see it continue, doesn't necessarily mean that another dynamic isn't equally as awesome that they could put it in. So I don't know. No, I, I, th- I think I think I think the problem comes in trying to define Finn by previous films. I I agree with that, and I think I think it's that's a valid criticism, and I think it's a valid issue, and and I agree with that. I I want to see them break away. I want to see them them be new character types, and and not just be rehashes of what we've seen. Um, it's yeah. just by its nature it is an unknown so it's hard to kind of formulate what that might look like but we'll right. see i mean thankfully unlike the old star wars movies we only have to wait Two 18 years. months <laughs> instead yeah. of 3 years so yeah, and ray, and ray is interesting because she is she does seem like she could be an amal- she actually is like an amalgam of luke and han because but that's more because she's on the Falcon. If she was in a different ship, then we might think more she ha- is just kind of maybe more of a – we might see more of Luke and Anakin in her because Anakin was more of 
Luke was mechanical, but he wasn't nearly as mechanical as Anakin was. But they both were great. They both were pilots, so that would so that would follow that would follow in the lineage, you know, the piloting. So it's just the fact that she was in the Falcon and she spent some time in the Falcon when it was on Jakku to begin with that she kind of knows, you know, the in and ins and outs. So it might just be her natural, you know, mechanical aptitude, which is would follow in the, you know, if she is a Skywalker, would follow in the tradition then. So maybe that's why she seems a little more Han-like, and obviously because she, she and Han got along so well, and Chewie, and and the fact that she got the Chewie seal, seal of approval, which was important. Oh, Chewie. Hopefully, Chewie. I, I, they better not. Now that they let him survive this movie, they better not kill Chewie anytime soon. <laughs> it's like, like killing a dog. You don't want to do that. No, we got to see his wife. Make sure she's. They can't alive. be married. And look how long he's been gone. They can't. They must be separated. <laughs> Wookie divorce court. I mean, he he's been palling around with, with Han for what, like forty years now, <laughs> at least. <laughs> oh. All right, are we done? Have we shot our bolt, gentlemen? I think so. All right. Well, before we uh, before we wrap up, uh, Ryan, do you want to promote your uh, your shows and uh, you know when exactly Secret Origins is coming back? <laughs> Well, if uh, if all goes well, Secret Origins, which is a podcast devoted to the 1980s DC Comics Secret Origins series, should be coming back in the month of February. Um, other than that, I've got a new show coming down the pipe also probably in February called The Power of Fishnets, which is devoted to the stories of both Black Canary and Zatanna. Now, is this is this going to replace Flowers and Fishnets? Yes, it is. Um, okay. it's, it's, I mean, I'm still kind of continuing the same Black Canary stories, but I'm also injecting some, you know, backwards talking magic action into the mix, uh, by covering Zatanna, because you can never have enough fishnets characters in your podcast. Um, and then the other one, uh, I am doing the Star Wars podcast, but I will give you guys an exclusive that may not be exclusive by the time this episode comes out. Oh, come on. Well, I'll tell you anyway. Close enough. Edit this sucker fast, Chad. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, in the next couple of days, I will be recording the final episode of Dead Bothan Spies. Uh, The the show is coming to a close. However, I am not done, as we've heard for the last two hours. I am nowhere near done talking about Star Wars in podcast form. So, really, I will be launching a new show uh, with a different title um, and sort of a different home and more details will be available for that in the future. So follow me on Facebook or Twitter, and you can get more details about that. I will certainly let you guys know. And you both have a standing invitation to show up on that show whenever you want. Cool. Mark, Mark will probably avail himself of that more than I. Clearly I have you know, a passion for Star Wars, but not nearly as much as you guys. So <laughs> must be a generational thing. <laughs> oh, stay, stay classy, my friend. Uh, Mark, you want to tell people how they can reach out to us? I suppose. <laughs> if you'd like to contact us, email us at lantern, lanterncast at gmail.com. Lanterncast at gmail.com. Uh, visit our website, lanterncast.com. We, our latest episodes are posted there Dark Star Reviews, Ring Cyclopedia episodes, and various thoughts on different topics that pop up. Chad and I will share there. So that's a good place to start. You can follow us on Twitter. Instagram and Facebook. Use hashtag GLCast to locate us there. Uh, we're also on iTunes and Stitcher. So if you like us on 
either or both, please leave us positive reviews. And last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, call us at 708-LANTERN. 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. All right, guys. Next couple of episodes. Um, uh, well, I... I... So obviously some some current issue reviews are coming. We also have a tribute episode. I don't want to get much into it because I kind of want to give its own give it its own time, uh, as opposed to just doing a a, a quick mention here. Uh, but uh, there is a tribute episode coming up uh, pretty soon, and uh, I really encourage you guys to all listen to that. And uh, we got several other things in the works as well. So we'll we'll talk to you guys pretty soon. Uh, sorry for the delay <laughs> over the Christmas break, but I'm sure you understand. <laughs> better <laughs> <laughs> alright guys we'll talk to thank you thank you for having me on the show anytime Ryan yeah. good night everybody good night good night <laughs>